Set down your sleepy water and your Mr. Whistle. Take off that raincoat and grab a cold beer. It's time to have a real talk about pediatric dentistry. You're listening to Bruise and Tiny Teeth, the unfiltered pediatric dentistry podcast. That is a toasty beer. I love it. I've got a uh, Sam Adams oaked vanilla porter tonight that I'm working on. It's good to be back, Bruise and Tiny Teeth fam. Uh, I'm going to come at you guys with a quick podcast. I uh, was actually, uh, we're going to do a solo podcast tonight and it's going to be a quick one. I was supposed to have a uh, guest on and uh, there was a bit of an emergency last minute and um, we had to reschedule and I decided to kind of step in with a bit of an impromptu episode talking about some end of year stuff and how we're going to increase production for next year. So I uh, hope everybody is having a great year as we kind of wind down uh, recording this um, the end of November. It's December 1st tomorrow. Um, so we got one month left and then uh, and then it's going to be Christmas time and we're going to have a busy Christmas rush and then we're going to get going on the new year. So I uh, hope everybody's been enjoying the podcast. It's been a little bit challenging trying to juggle podcasting with um, a couple other projects I have going, some other business ideas I have, trying to keep the practice growing and thriving and running that big machine. Um, so uh, if anybody has any good recommendations or has any good personal stories or interesting things that they do and uh, you're a pediatric dentist and maybe want to... Um, discuss the idea of doing a podcast at some point in time, certainly hit me up. Uh, that's definitely the hardest part of this whole, um, of the podcast life is trying to find and keep up with new pediatric dentists and schedule things. And, and just the scheduling can, can be kind of time consuming. So, um, but I do have a lot of good guests scheduled and, a, a good one coming up next week. So I'm excited for that as well. But, uh, today, um, I'm just going to spend a few minutes talking about, we're going to talk about five things that I kind of wrote, wrote down here. Um, talking about ways that I'm going to be increasing production and office revenue for uh, for 2024 for next year. So uh, I was thinking about this the other day, you know, because whether you know you guys listening out there are either current practice owners, um, maybe uh, or maybe an associate, or maybe a resident, or maybe wanting to own a practice eventually, um, you're going to realize that once you do own a practice, um, there's kind of a weird pressure that doesn't get talked about a lot, but you know, whether it's from uh, a spouse or from your financial advisor or your tax guy or whatever consultant you're using, it feels like, you know, every year you try to innovate and come up with ways to do dentistry better and see more kids and be a better pediatric dentist. Um, but you know, it, there's always kind of a pressure and an expectation that, okay, next year the bar set a little bit higher and we got to do a little bit more. Um, and I, I definitely, I just had a quarterly meeting with uh, an accountant a little while ago to start talking about some end of the year tax projections. And, you know, he kind of talked about, you know, what's it going to look like for numbers for next year. And he said, well, you're doing this, like, let's go ahead and just set that 10% higher because that's kind of what I predict you're going to do. And so we were, um, you know, we were talking about that and it was just kind of a bummer because it just feels like there's constantly like another layer of pressure adding another, uh, you know, needing to just continually push it, do more dentistry, put the pedal to the metal, trying to get 
you know, achieve a higher level of production and office revenue. And so you get done with those meetings and you go back to work. And it's just that feeling of, you know, that first day you go back after a conversation like that and you're like, oh man, I feel like I got to bust ass and work even harder. Um, and so it's, it's, it's kind of a, it's, it's a, it's a challenging place to be, but it's kind of the reality if you're a practice owner is, you know, if you're not, there's a bit of a feeling that if you're not growing, you are, are stagnant and stagnant is bad as a business owner. So it might be a bit of a mindset thing I've got to get over, but that's uh, that's something that you can expect as a, as a practice owner, that there's always going to be pressure to set a higher bar for growth for the next year. So, um, so five quick things that I wrote down that I'm going to be working on this year to try to increase our office production, do better dentistry, be more efficient with my time. Um, and these are, these are more advanced things. These aren't the obvious low hanging fruit ones, like trying to do more same day dentistry or, you know, hire another hygienist or something. These are like, I'm full, I'm at capacity. These are creative ways I can squeeze in more dentistry, be more uh, productive, efficient with my time, that sort of thing. So, uh, so number one, I did buy a scanner and I'm kind of looking forward to, to scanning my bilateral space maintainers. Um, so reflecting on that, you know, I do a lot of de novo and a lot of same day extraction and chair side space maintenance, but my patient population is difficult and a lot of kids just don't do very well. The impressions are challenging. And then I send them off to a lab. And by the time my schedule allows me to get them back in six year molars have already tipped forward and, and they seem to just struggle. I seem to struggle getting them to fit uh, with my schedule and things. And then, you know, sometimes they don't fit and then you burn appointments, bringing them back. And so um, so I find myself shortcutting the amount that I'm doing my bilateral spacers. And so I'm excited with the scanner, uh, even though it was an investment up front and this is probably going to be more of a revenue jump and a production jump than it will be a bottom line jump. But, um, I'm hoping that it gets me more excited and allows me to do more of these lower linguals and nances, uh, just streamlining the whole process. So my idea is patient comes in for a comp exam. They, uh, you know, maybe they need GA or maybe they need a lot of operative work. If we have time at that initial appointment and I know that K is getting extracted or A and J need to come out or we're extracting a lot of teeth or maybe, maybe even they're just a crowded kid that doesn't need a, a ton going on. But we know that lower linguals can, if you put it in, can save four millimeters of space and Nance can save, you know, two millimeters of space. And some of our patients that maybe you don't think can afford ortho, that's a good service to do. So if we can identify that at the comp exam, I'm going to tell my assistant we're going to get trained in systems to go ahead and scan. And that way we can get the file sent off, get the um, get the uh, the appliance made. And then when they come back for their GA appointment or for their first op appointment, boom, we cemented it in the very first day. And so that's going to save us from doing the impression on GA day or sedation day or doing impression on the op day and then having to bring back for a delivery appointment. So instead of that delivery appointment, we're saving a f that appointment and instead freeing that up to do another new patient or another op. And so it's just going to be a way to really increase efficiency. Um, it, the break-even point is going to be a while, but I am excited to kind of start implementing that. And I think I'm, I'm going to go from doing, you know, a couple lower linguals and nances and bilaterals a month to maybe, you know, doing 10, 15, 20 and being more opportunistic with it. So, so I'm excited for that. Number one, scanning spacers. Uh, number two, uh, fee increases. I want to talk about that. You know, this is a challenging one. If you're not familiar and, and maybe don't own a practice, the, um, raising fees is not as simple as you think. You see that on Facebook a lot. Like, are you know, people complain about, oh, we're booked out forever. We're too busy. They say, okay, well, it's time to raise fees. 
Well, that really only works if you're completely fee for service. You know, if you see Medicaid, they don't care. You can raise your fees to a million dollars for a crown. They're not going to change it. You know, same with um, Delta or any of your other in-network uh, plans that you're contracted with. You can raise fees all you want. You're only going to get that contracted rate. So it's only going to affect your, you know, your out-of-network fee for service patients. Um, but so I'm going to work on that to some extent, but the big one is, um, I haven't raised my nitrous oxide fees for a while. And so the, the laughing gas, if you do a lot of nitrous oxide in office, that's a place you can really, um, you know, kind of keep up inflation if you will, and make sure you're, uh, being competitive in your pricing there. Um, if you haven't raised those fees for a while, you know, that's a nitrous oxide is one that insurances don't cover and parents end up paying out of pocket for that in the vast majority of situations. So if you raise, like, I think my nitrous fees are pretty low. I think I'm at maybe 50 bucks an appointment. I like to keep it affordable because I want to do it. But even just raising that to $60, when you compound it by using it eight or 10 times a day times, you know, 150 days a year, I mean, you're, that's going to add up in a hurry. So, um, so we're going to kind of do some fee evaluating, um, maybe increase some fees in a few places. I'm going to see if I can do some individual contract negotiation, um, with, with, uh, maybe with Delta. I don't know if they'll bite, but I'm going to, I'm going to try to squeeze a little bit out, but definitely going to reevaluate some fees, especially knowing that this year inflation and, uh, supply costs and everything else, um, uh, labor costs, payroll going up. There's a lot of uh, fee or a lot of, um, overhead increases this year. So, watching the fee schedule, reevaluating things and bumping a few things is going to be important for number two. Uh, number three, I'm going to try to do some more same day, uh, hall crowns. You know, I've, I've been kind of bad about this where I get in a hurry. I get a little bit lazy. Um, the kids that I think are good hall crown candidates in my hands, I like doing them on kids that are maybe five and under. I don't like doing them as much when the six year molars come in. Um, but you know, you get those kids with lighter contacts that have hypo uh, first and second molars or have some carry starting back there. Uh, I've been kind of lazy about, you know, I see them, I treatment plan them. Maybe I'm a little bit behind because I'm busy. And um, I wind up saying, let me just put an ortho separator in and uh, I'll bring them back another day. But uh, just a few days ago, I had one of these where I had a tooth like that and I had a few extra minutes. I forget that it's actually not that hard to take a hall crown if the kid's fairly cooperative. I did it the same day as a recall. Profi bite wing fluoride x-ray, new patient, he's three years old. This little kiddo had Medicaid, tooth S, single tooth was pretty bombed, but not to the pulp, but like a good hall crown candidate. Um, the crowns that I use, if you guys haven't tried the new smile stainless steel crowns, they're really, really nice for hall crowns because they're thin and uh, you can crimp the mesial distal really easily and get a really flat contact. And that thing, it doesn't take a lot of thumb pressure to really slide that down and get it to, to slide in between the contact where you don't have to have um, an ortho separator in there ahead of time. So if you got just, say if you've got tooth S and you've got a little space on the mesial and maybe the distal is touching a little bit, you can usually smush a hall crown uh, down in there really easily. And the efficiency and the cost savings of just knocking that out same day on either the comp exam day or on a recall are, are crazy. And so I'm going to try to be better about doing more same day hall crowns um, on patients that are good candidates for it this year. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, number four uh, for increasing production this year, I'm going to try to get better about offering more aesthetic options as far as white crowns. Um, I was able to get a hold of uh, some BioFlex molar uh, molar crowns, which I'm really excited about. I've done maybe four of them. 
and they're okay so far. I think I got a little bit too excited in my head about what they're going to look like. They definitely are not as aesthetic and they don't look as nice. And in my opinion, I don't think the margins are as good as the uh, zirconia molar options. But as we all know, the zirconia molar options, you know, one will fit really nice and then you'll have three that'll fight you till the end of time and they're terrible. And so, um, I, the jury's a little bit still out, but I, I'm, I think it's a happy medium where the aesthetics are perfect, but I think the ease of placement is worth it. And, um, I've been so used to selling stainless steel crowns and really presenting that as the only option along with resins that, um, I'd like to get better about, you know, trying to identify kids and families that maybe would uh, appreciate that service of keeping everything white and, um, and, um, not selling that option, but offering that option more. Cause a lot of times I don't offer it because habitually I haven't had that, that tool in my toolbox. So in 2024, I'm going to try to get better about at least putting that on my list of options and being quick about it in my treatment planning and say, Hey, I have aesthetic options. I've got some white crowns. Um, if you're interested in keeping white, we can have that conversation. It's going to cost a little bit more, but, um, they do have some new products out that are working nicely. So, um, so offering some, some white op options are high on my priority list. And as you know, there's, um, you know, you, the uh, fee for that is often quite a bit higher and, and you can be reimbursed a little bit more. So that would help uh, kind of bump top line as well there. So offering aesthetic options is going to be number four. And then number five, less heroic treatment planning, uh, especially with teenagers. So I kind of, this is kind of a two-part thing. I've, I don't know if it's COVID kids that are finally catching up with us that have no coping skills, but I seem to have a crazy overwhelming amount of patients lately that um, just have not done as well for operative appointments as I thought they would. Um, and I don't think it's me being off my game. I just, I've, maybe it's a, a rough week, but a lot of kids that uh, have gone south, they've had a lot of failed ops, kids with second appointment syndrome. Um, and so the more that I do my in-office sedations and everybody's sedation situation is different, but I think I'm going to lower my bar for, um, you know, not hesitating to offer sedation or push sedation a little bit more. Uh, my sedation list has gotten more caught up this year where I'm, I'm booking closer to three months out, uh, versus like four or five, like I normally am. Whereas my operative appointments are booking like four or five, you know, crazy months out. So, um, so those kids that are, you know, instead of bringing in that one kid that might be kind of nervous, has a lot of treatment going on, like maybe we can push through four quads with this four-year-old or five-year-old. Um, I just think probability or from a statistical standpoint, you know, the more quads you have, the more you're talking pulps and extractions and heavy hitter dentistry, the higher the probability that things could go south in a hurry. And so I think I'm, I'm going to kind of push those cases more towards sedation. I think it's it's better for the kids. I'm going to get more efficient with my time because I can get everything done. And then I'm going to free up two to four operative appointments for kids that need my help, but can get it done without the sedation side of things. Um, so reevaluating my treatment stand, standpoint or treatment planning from that standpoint. And then the other uh, creative treatment planning is uh, I'm going to lower my threshold for tolerance for teenage kids with lots of adult cavities. Um, you know, I've been pretty flexible. I try to help these kids out because I've kind of always thought that the adolescent population, at least in my area, doesn't have a great dental home. Um, and so, um, yeah, I, I, I try to help them out. I do a lot of permanent stainless steel crowns and big class two composites, and I am self-aware that I'm not great at them. They're not my favorite thing to do. 
but it's a killer just because it, it chews up so many appointments. You know, you, you get, especially you get say like a 14 year old and especially when they're not motivated to take better care of their teeth, the, uh, and their hygiene isn't good, all the composites and all the hard work and perfectionism you put into it, they just still don't hold up anyways because they don't take care of them. And then you wind up burning three or four or five appointments of a big heavy hitter adult restorative work doing a bunch of MODOs. And then the fifth appointment, you're doing all the anterior work. And I just think, you know, those are fairly low dollar things. And, and uh, you know, those are five operative appointments I could spend doing the handful of things that I'm the only one that can do, you know, the things that I'm good at, those stainless steel crowns, good pulpotomies, do good space maintenance, you know, the things that's kind of my, you know, as pediatric dentists, our bread and butter uh, technique. So I'm not saying I'm not going to keep seeing teenagers, but you know, the, if I see a teenage kid who we've been watching all these class twos and I don't see them for a year and then they come back in and all of a sudden they've got more than maybe three or four of them on like more than maybe two appointments. I think I'm done treatment planning more than like three operative appointments on teenage kids, unless it's a really good family or kind of extenuating circumstances. I think it's just going to be a friendly conversation and an early referral. And that way a dentist um, who, if we can find that kiddo a dental home, then they can have work done where the dentist there can follow up and do, you know, do the work, but then stand behind it and follow it up. And then if crowns need to be done, they're already established there. So, uh, so creative treatment planning. So you know, that's not all inclusive. I've got some other things I'm working on, um, on this list of five. I'm, I'm going to be trying to get a, a buddy of mine to help fill in on an as needed basis, like a locum tenens kind of role so that, uh, we can kind of cover when I'm out on vacation. Cause, uh, it's always been kind of a killer and so, sort of stressful as a practice owner, you know, is when you are out of the office and the whole operation shuts down for a week, if you want to try to take some vacation, you know, cause it's that balance where it's like, man, I need to take some time off. I need a week off to go do this, to travel, to, to fulfill my needs in life. But then when you do that, the whole big machine, this monster that you've created isn't getting fed. And, um, it's just psychologically even more stressful on that. And so I think my solution to that is to try to get some help to cover the, that time off. Um, but yeah, the, the five things I'm going to work on to recap, I'm going to try to, I, I bought a medit scanner about 15, 16 grand uh, out of pocket for everything. But I'm going to start being more aggressive with scanning spacers for efficiency there. I'm going to reevaluate my fee schedule and uh, raise fees on some of my controllable fees, maybe like hospital codes, uh, sedation fees, and nitrous oxide. Number three, going to do more same day hall crowns. Number four, offer more white posterior aesthetic options. And number five, be smarter about doing heroic treatment planning, possibly a lower sedation threshold, and referring out teenagers sooner. Um, so that's what I got. We're going to work on those five things. Um, I hope everybody, uh, is, you know, going to, you know, going to crush it in 2024. Um, I love hearing from you guys. Thank you to anybody that's, you know, kind of reached out and give me some love about the podcast. And, uh, um, I've got a few other things that I'm working on that I, I'll kind of announce later in the year, some projects, some other, um, some other cool things that I'm working on that I got to keep under wraps right now. But, um, but yeah, if anybody has any uh, podcast topics, has a good guest, wants to come on and chat, just um, shoot me a message. You know, I can kind of take a look and we can come up with a plan. But uh, otherwise, have uh, hope everybody has a fantastic holiday season. And, uh, you know, if, if nobody's told you today, thank you guys for taking care of the kids out there and, and uh, providing a great service to our uh, the kids in our population. So hope everybody has a great holiday and I'll see you guys soon. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to the Bruise and Tiny Teeth podcast. Be sure to DM our host, Casey Getz, on social media with any listener questions, comments, or tough clinical situations. We'll see you next week for another unfiltered episode.